Hello and welcome to the Delphian podcast. Delphian is an artist-led nomadic gallery focusing on emerging and early career artists. Each episode will feature a different art world practitioner, from artists and gallerists to collectors and curators. If you liked today's episode, please like, share and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the Delphian Podcast. My name is Nick J.S. Thompson and with me as ever is Benjamin Murphy. With us today is Andrea Emmerlife, who is a critic, curator, art advisor and presenter from London. She has presented shows for prestigious institutions like the Royal Academy, the Hepworth and the Courtauld Gallery. And as well as this, she writes for the Financial Times, the Guardian and the BBC, amongst others. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. <laughs> so how did you begin working in all the varying areas that you have to date? This is so wide ranging, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've sort of never really thought I'd be someone that could really pin myself down to one career path. I mean, I guess the path is always going to be art, but I always am thinking of different projects and different. I want to wear different hats. So I started fundamentally as a writer when I was at the Courtauld Institute of Art, where I studied, and um, I was just quite precocious and started emailing people with ideas for articles. And luckily, they well, they thought I was a good writer, which is good. Good way place to start as a writer, and um, yeah, I just started on with that. And I think uh, moving on to curating is is quite natural because I see curation as sort of like a visual essay, um, or at least the way I curate. And um, all the other things just come from learning and sort of being in the art world. So I founded a residency, and that comes from you know being around artists and understanding what they need and how we can improve like life for artists which is fundamental if you want to work in art and um yeah everything else just kind of folded in together and i hope it continues to there's plenty more things i want to try my hat mm. like what writing a book <laughs> which you guys have already done so <laughs> yeah so uh what would your book be about um maybe about how to sort of carve a path in the art world as a woman um i mean there's a topic that people ask me a lot about I guess now it's a bit different. Um, there's always going to be a need for pursuing and pursuing change and um, developing things. But I mean, most of my favorite art gallerists are women. Um, there's more and more cura- um, curators and directors that are women. But um, definitely when I was studying, which wasn't even that long ago, like three or four years ago, there were less role models. So I think that would be a fun topic. Otherwise, I don't know, I might go back to my art history roots and sort of just um, find the new theory and sort of focus on that. Um, there's, there's so much to touch upon. It's exciting. That sounds like an interesting book. We should have got you to write a guest article for our book. You should have. Mm. Too late now. <laughs> hindsight is a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you should definitely write that, though. It yeah. Interesting. <laughs> we'll uh, put you in contact with our publisher. Exactly. Publishers listen. <laughs> so, yeah. So how do all of these multifarious processes, say curation, writing, um, advising, presenting, how do they all inform each other and how are they connected? Um, so writing, definitely. I think writing is sort of at the core of what I do just because, it, I mean, it's the first way for me to um, process my ideas. So I, whenever I start thinking about shows and stuff, I really start with essays and um, formulating sort of little um, writings, whether it's in notebooks or um, just or an actual published thing. Um, that's usually where my ideas start from. Then, I mean, to curating, it comes quite naturally. Um, I never studied curation. 
uh, it wasn't part of my course. I studied art history and they didn't have any like sort of business or um, curation or art market stuff as part of the course. So I really just tried my hat at it and found out that, I, well, I found out I was pretty good at it. I had a good eye. Um, so those two are intrinsically linked for me. Presenting, um, so I've done some short videos uh, for galleries and museums. That I find um, is, again, a sort of uh, spidering out from writing. And I guess it's just sort of making it spoken. Um, I was really passionate about making art and sort of thinking about the theories of art a bit more accessible. And I find doing video work is much easier uh, because my writing style is perhaps more academic but my presenting style is far more colloquial and conversational but they do sort of um they do address the same themes so i find quite i find the sort of video stuff quite rewarding and i guess it's also great because by um with the video stuff you can put a face to the ideas and you know i'm a young black woman working in art and that in itself is quite an interesting sort of accessibility point for people um, from various back backgrounds sort of to understand art I guess there's sometimes a bit of a disconnect with the sort of traditional sort of old white Oxford guys um, which is actually changing a lot um, in sort of traditional arts TV and arts media but yeah so that is another sort of aspect I think most of it is just um, looking at art and trying to make it accessible and trying to make people feel and realise that art is kind of addressing the same themes like we've we've all sort of experienced you know love and loss and we will experience death and um no matter the context of life all the art that's being made sort of addresses the same sort of human experience yeah cool. sorry tangent <laughs> so and so you run a plot residency with uh ollie app yes it's so you, fun <laughs> how did you get involved with that how did you meet ollie so i met ollie in a really lovely way so he was doing his solo show in paris at Semio's gallery last year and um he did his opening i didn't go to the opening but i found myself in paris uh, a couple of weeks after and he'd come back uh, I think for fun mostly and I sort of saw him in Paris well I, I saw him on Instagram it's almost the same thing these days and um, I'd sent him a DM and I said hey do you want to grab a coffee and we really hit it off and become became very good friends the thing with Ollie he's very ambitious and very giving and um, very humble so he really loves the idea of giving back he's been extremely successful and like one of the great things I think with him is that he loves to give back. He was already sort of um, he was already running a residency in a more informal way. Sort of um, he would buy studios for artists and he did an open call type of thing. And I just I will we thought it'd be nice to give it a bit more structure. And so Plop was born. Uh, I introduced him to some collectors that I'd um, been advising on their collection, and they were thrilled with the idea of uh, giving something back and having a, a philanthropic effort to help alleviate the lack of studio spaces in London and also help international artists come to London for a month which is I mean it's pretty difficult I think and they can have a space to work and a space to um, develop their contacts so yeah we've been running for maybe I think it's nine months now and we have every interest to keep it going it's been really rewarding sort of five artists every month different countries uh, we've had uh, Chile, Egypt, Pakistan, um, we've had all over the Americas 
and uh, obviously more neighbouring countries like France and Germany. Um, yeah, it's been lovely. It's really nice to meet all these different artists and see how they respond to each other. Yeah. It's really nice. I think it's a very altruistic thing to do because um, it was self-funded by Ollie originally. Wasn't yeah. It? Um, mm. It's, um, it's kind of nice to see like a, an artist who who has um, early early on success in his career yeah. initiating this kind of thing with, with you and with these people you've brought on board. Mm. Because a residency essentially doesn't really, or I can't imagine it making you guys money, right? It's, it's completely not, non-for-profit. Yeah. We don't take anything from it. It's free to enter, um, which, yeah, which is another sort of unique thing, I guess. Mm. A lot of residencies aren't, even though it's, if it's a small fee. Um, yeah. And they get tutorials also. Uh, they get tutorials with Rosalind Davis, who you've had on your podcast before. Yeah, episode um, two, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and also Danny Lamb, who's um, from Painters Painting Paintings, who, which and, I love that account so ex much. Rod Barton, right? Yes, ex mm. Rod Barton, and soon to be featured. I think he's doing his own project coming up oh. next year. Um, yeah, it's so they get that sort of support as well. Um, and. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting seeing artists from other countries sort of been plopped into London and how they respond and how they can really throw themselves into it and meet people. I think it's quite unique. And I mean, it's beneficial for the London-based artists as well. But it's, I think it's especially interesting to see, you know, people from other countries and backgrounds and how they respond to being here. Some of them haven't even left their countries before, which was very humbling. Um, to see that they come here for this and they never step foot outside their country. Mm. Um, there's so many artists in the world, though. Uh, it really did open my eyes. Like, of course, I know there's so many, but gosh, being an artist is difficult. <laughs> there's so many of you guys. <laughs> yeah. But I appreciate their, you know, stamina and, um, yeah, vitality and keeping it going. Mm. So where's the name from? Uh, Ollie, <laughs> Ollie. Um, it's very Ollie. It's right? very Ollie. That's... <laughs> Most people realise I didn't come up with the name. Uh, Plop came from Ollie. Um, I We were just sort of throwing around names. Um, Plop is sort of... Well, the idea of Plop is that it's like sort of being dropped in the ocean or plopped into the ocean. So it's like, you know, coming to London, making a splash, and another pun there, making a splash, and then, um, yeah, and exploring London. But also, it's a kind of a pun on pop, I guess. Um, Ollie's practice is... He likes to call it post-digital pop. And I think it's, what did he say? I think it's the highest scoring Scrabble combination for Ollie app. I haven't <laughs> tried this. I can't confirm it. I'm not a Scrabble person. Um, Ollie does try to wangle me into these things. But um, no, apparently that's, this is the case. I think someone else pointed this out. It was a very lovely coincidence. But it's also, I guess, to alleviate the idea of these. Uh, most residencies are sort of like the something, something trust. And it's all very... Uh, aloof and um, I guess I don't know we want it to be really fun and less um, I don't know less uh, intimidating to mm. enter it's a, a fun thing it's also a very social residency we're around taking people out for fun things like pizza nights and uh, introducing them to our friends so yeah it's a funny name but I think it works yeah <laughs> have you ever made artwork yourself no I haven't I was just pondering sort of getting into drawing but I have never really had a good hand at these things, um, which is, I guess it's kind of surprising because, I, I mean, I've already got so many slashes in my um, sort of, you know, my job title. But 
Um, I've never tried. I guess I see writing as like an art form in, my, in itself. Um, but no, I've not tried really that much. But who knows, maybe I'll explore. I'll be a sort of a late bloomer and um, start, yeah, taking over that way. Um, but I really do love writing and sort of the other bits and processing art from mm. uh, an exterior point of view. I think it's, it, I don't know, it informs something in me. I think it's, yeah. I think this is my bag for now. <laughs> That's interesting to mention. Have you read The Critic as Artist by Oscar Wilde? No. It's um sounds like something to add to my ever growing <laughs> Amazon list. <laughs> my Amazon's like, please no, stop. <laughs> I think it's old enough now that you can download it for free. Okay. But, um, uh, so you don't need to pay Jeff Bezos any money. Oh, um, damn it. I'm sure he needs the coins. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's his uh, his approach is very much that um criticism of artwork critique is a creative act in itself and it adds, mm. adds something to the artwork that wasn't necessarily present beforehand well i like that very idea very <laughs> i very yeah. much subscribe to that um yeah i should give this book a read i like the idea of um of like sort of exterior um influence sort of adding more to the work but um i guess it's been discussed in a bit i mean the role of a critic is kind of uh it's definitely going for a flux at the moment in that I really do think a lot of the critics in popular newspapers aren't that critical. Mm. Um, it's a lot of fluffy pieces about... I mean, there's some great criticism out there, but a lot of the main newspapers, there are a few that I just find not so critical and mostly just like regurgitated press releases. No names being mentioned, but I'm sure people can guess. Mm. Um, but So the role of critic, I guess, wasn't as isn't as powerful as it was before, but I would love it to become a bit more so and I think there's ways for it to become a bit more modern and um, for it to still inform a practice without being sort of bullish and commandeering which I think at some point it did become very like oh what I say goes and if I say it's good it's not I think criticism doesn't have to be the be, on, be all and end all I think it's good to sort of activate a good discussion um, so some humility and criticism is interesting I guess but I can see how it's very easy for an ego to get involved mm. when you're a high-flying critic. Hey, maybe I'll be like that in a few years. Maybe I'm still <laughs> very much naive and enthusiastic. But, you know. So you you said just then that the, um, the role of the critic is kind of in flux. Yeah. Do you think that's also the case for the role of the curator and the gallerist now that there's things like social media yes definitely i mean um i mean the the rise in sort of self put on shows is definitely a thing i can't speak so much of, of new york or anywhere else but i've got so many friends who just put on exhibitions which i think is fabulous um i don't i think there was always um i think before there was a bit more of an idea of like i have to be a curator i have to study creation and go through all these steps but you know, there's artists that are curating. There are um, there's people that like artists who are writing. There are people that haven't studied that are still, you know, maintaining that their opinion is apt and it's valid, and they're putting that across. Um, and I mean, that's how I started with curation. I didn't study it. I just sort of had an idea, and I found the space. I was very lucky to find a great space that my friend had. It was a studio space, and I just put on a show. Um, I think there's a lot of um, sort of. Uh, a self-initiation and sort of making it happen mm. um and by doing that that's making the roles or the traditional roles and how it was seen a bit more fluid in that you can kind of sort of have um 
dabble in many different things. Uh, social media has also made that a thing because, I mean, social media allows people to have a voice that people previously didn't have. Uh, there's things like Medium where people are posting their own articles and people are, you know, having blogs. There's like the white pube and everything else. I think, yeah, social media has definitely opened things up a lot more and I think that's great. And I don't know, I think maybe the traditional media is a bit shook. Yeah. <laughs> and they should be because, I don't know, the youngsters are coming for them, which is, which is amazing. Do you think that that rise in social media has affected the role, the traditional role of a gallery as well, the, like the sort of the existing gallery model? Yeah, I mean, I know more and more artists that are choosing not to have a sort of fixed relationship with galleries like so they all have a sort of uh more fluid representation which i don't know how they quantify but i guess having close relationships without actual contracts and um, contracts controlling what they do in terms of shows and interviews and everything else um galleries are also shutting a lot uh i don't know i mean that's i guess more of a reflection of um political market and economic markets and things like that but the role of the gallery is definitely, I mean, there's so many more nomadic platforms. My sort of spaces move a lot. And I think the idea of like being able to move and, and create different um, happenings, and different engagements between cities has changed the whole gallery system because they're obviously all galleries are mostly thought to be in fixed spaces. Um, yeah. And then the art fair model is, I mean, all of this is mostly um, from an emerging art point of view. Mm. I think the gallery system is is very much still there when you get to secondary and um, sort of more established markets, mm. mostly because of economic um, stability, but also because th these type of relationships become um, more more informative and more needed at that stage but i think the idea of being a bit more flexible and having fluidity in the beginning of your career is i guess it makes more sense um so i think yeah there's a lot happening with emerging art uh, more emerging or um whatever that means emerging galleries um and how that's changing what like well you guys you have your your space and that's we know we don't no. have a permanent space no, you don't have a permanent space i thought no. it was permanent in the print no, yeah. no. So we're in nomadic as well. Mm. So yeah. Well, we there changed. you go. Yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> well, it's the way to go. I mean, rents are extortionate. That's definitely part of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially in London. <laughs> mm. It's. It seems like it's easier now for artists and early career artists and curators to make their own opportunities. Yeah. But yet that almost seems kind of counterintuitive because of how insanely hiked up studio rents are. Yeah. Exhibition space rents are and stuff. So how do you think that um, artists are doing that and how can artists do that kind of thing? I guess there's a sort of trade-off in that, I mean, most spaces that um, shows are put on aren't in the middle of Mayfair and things like that. I guess people are becoming a bit more fluid in the spaces they show. So I've been to great exhibitions in warehouses, in um, you know studio spaces that are sort of given a bit of a veneer and sort of transformed into the more of the traditional white cube sort of gallery space. Um, yeah, I guess sort of having a bit more uh, fluidity in what you consider to be a show and accepting that great ideas can be born from a model and from a 
um, sort of a space that isn't the traditional sort of, uh, you know, what you imagine to be an institutional show. Some of the better shows I've been to have been more grassroots type things. And I think the sort of popularity of that is is one of the sort of main buzzy things about London. I'm sure this stuff happened. Well, I'm not sure. I feel like places like New York that wouldn't work as well. I mean, most of the studio spaces are in like Brooklyn and um, I guess, yeah, I guess where I think London is lucky in that there are so many different districts that you can engage with. And I think there's still a, a sort of a space for um, funding that would be great in terms of like funding, um, you know, ideas and curatorial projects. I there's definitely a lack of that in sort of, you know, encouraging exhibitions to happen. I think the focus is on art studio on studio spaces, which I think is valid completely, because there's no exhibitions that, you know, without the artwork. But one thing I'd love to see is like an initiative that would support um, you know, exhibitions and fostering ideas and creating discussions um the arts council does do a good job they only have so much money though i guess um that's the next step i think that'd be yeah. great didn't know it was gonna happen though <laughs> yeah. do you think it's easier now for young artists and, and curators as well to make their own opportunities rather than having to be wait to sort of wait around to be picked up by it a, is a easier but it's also daunting um so i go back to my um alma mater um Courtauld institute and i do lecture there sometimes on these type of things and i do constantly still get the feedback that they feel disconnected and scared to do these things mm. um i think the sort of i hate the word millennial but like the millennial sensibility of just getting up and doing your own thing is definitely you know that's more of a thing than it was decades ago i think we're very much more okay with the idea of breaking like breaking away from the traditional sort of hierarchy and stepping up and, you know, paying your dues and doing intern la 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 and going up and up and just going and doing it. I think that's something that's very much in the spirit of people of this generation, which helps. But I still think there's a little bit of a, uh, not a scaredness, but a um, cautiousness about doing it. But the more and more, more and more that people do it, mm. and the more it becomes a bit less scary. Um, I'm seeing so many people do it though and I think it's amazing um, so many of my friends have put on shows and um, so many of my friends that are artists have been very um, proactive in getting their name well getting their art and their name through the door and um, you know showing up to events and networking fiercely and you know curating a very good and very strong Instagram but yeah and there's also some great artists that just don't know how to do these things and mm. probably their personality does isn't suited to being a social media maven and that's also i guess a difficulty because you know there's some amazing artists that just aren't suited to that and does that mean we're never going to discover them um yeah what what do you think they could do to sort of overcome that what would be another route for them to gain notoriety <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's really difficult i don't know what you can do i mean there's some some of my favorite artists are just very quiet reserved people and you know i mean for example ollie he's an amazing artist but he's also great at sort of putting yeah. himself yeah. out there he's got the most amazingly curated instagram and he spends a lot of time you know thinking about his moves and how he works and i i wish most more artists could be like that but um you know in some people in some for some people it's not in them and that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing it's just people 
some people aren't as outgoing mm. um i guess when you when when a sort of an opportunity like social media arises it's great because it allows people to rise to the top but it means there's also some great people that don't because they aren't they don't have those tools um Maybe, I don't know much about art school um, uh, programs. I think some are starting to cotton on to that type of thing, like in terms of branding and social media, like um, uh, curation and how to, you know, um, effectively uh, effectively um, display their work and things like that. Um, I guess it, sh- it could come from art schools, which would, yeah, it should come from art schools, mm. whether it does or not is to be seen it's tricky because i'm a lecturer at a university mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of impossible to mark any of that kind of stuff this yeah professional practice stuff yeah how do you mark about you're great at this stuff yeah you're not um, but it's also it's also learning that is to be implemented kind of post art school so we, yeah. it's, it's hard to fit it into the curriculum mm. for mm. a brief and then mark it so it's you can't really sadly mark it. sadly it kind of it, it, it falls on them yeah. a bit. But it would be really useful it, because it people, be, yeah. artists come out of university and they're just not equipped for the art world. Yeah. They're yeah. just like, oh, I've got great work, but... I know the history of So that's kind of why we do the podcast, why we're writing the yeah. books, why we do these panel discussions. Yeah, those things. I mean, you know, those books and panel discussions, they're great. I hope artists buy them and read them <laughs> and go to them. That's another step. Get it in the... Yeah, get it in front of them. Um, but I mean, things are improving Im- immensely, and at the end of the day, the uh, social media and um, you know awareness of like how to portray yourself as an, as professionally as an artist is the quality is still very high, and it's just you know there's always room for improvement. Mm. So, as a writer and a curator and mm. uh, and and all of that, <laughs> how? So, this is a question that we ask a lot of people, but it's very good to get as many different ideas and opinions on it as possible. How? best can early career artists make themselves and their works discoverable to people like you mm. yeah uh oh how do you make yourself discoverable? well i mean the first thing i guess is emailing your work although that in itself is problematic because i won't lie i do sometimes get a lot of submissions and i can't look at them all um, I guess standing out in some way. I think the more effective discussions I've had is when people have come up to me in advance. Um, I'm always really impressed if an artist is around and they'll they'll just come up and be like hi and introduce themselves, not sort of you know whip out their phone and show me their work. <laughs> as in they're yeah. like hi, they want to see my work. They mostly sort of have a discussion and then maybe send me a DM after. I guess having the double sort of introduction is nice rather than getting a solo um like a strange uh email like this is my work um but in general how to in um putting yourself out there and being discovered it's it's quite an organic thing i think instagram is one of the main ways i one of the main methods i use to discover artwork um and then second second to that i guess it's more sort of in person yeah those two things i guess are the only two things i can think of that are like practically um important being as being a good social networker and um yeah being bullshit enough to create these opportunities of meeting people in mm. themselves although it's really hard to do that so i guess it's difficult like it's a hard i find it a difficult thing to ask of artists yeah but it's also quite problematic as well if you don't live 
in an, in an art world hub. You don't live in London or New yeah. York or LA. Like if you exactly. live in the countryside somewhere, and I often find myself like beating myself up for not going to the regional sh- like degree shows as well. And that's it's there's so many artists. Mm. <laughs> that's the main thing. Um, what do you guys think? I'm, I feel like I should have a better answer to that. Um, yeah. Well, well, a a kind of secondary question to that, responding to something you just said, is that you see most of the artwork um, you encounter now through Instagram. Mm. I think there's um, a very definite, tangible trend for artwork performing well in galleries that also has previously performed well on things like Instagram. Yeah. And not all artwork does look great on things like Instagram. Oh, 100%. Do you think that is problematic? That is difficult. I really feel for artists that that their work isn't just not... Like, fundamentally, it's just, like, it just doesn't translate well. My well. shit on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not seeing your work yet. I'm sure it looks great. But I've seen art in real life and then seen it on Instagram. And it's just, I mean, whether it's the pigments, like a very dark black piece with nuances of blue, don't know how you, photo- yeah. you photograph mm. that. I mean, I, this this guy's tried. It's difficult. Mm. Um, that in itself is is difficult i don't to alleviate that i guess some people use video or you just have to get them down um yeah it's it's fundamentally hard because it then will sort of it might skew artists to make work that is instagrammable or like more towards that thing and Mm. i don't know if that's necessarily correct because on the other side, there's some work that I think works better on Instagram than it works in real life. Um, I mean, I guess it's especially with the rise of art, of sort of painting that looks digital, when it is digital, when it's digitalized, like on an iPhone, it might look, you know, it's it's easier to consume, like a digital looking painting on a digital device, and then on the wall would look different. Um, translating things is always going to be a, a difficulty. Uh, I don't know how you change that. Um, that's something for, I guess, technology to to change and to alleviate. I mean, in the end of the day, these things, the introduction of these things have been monumental. I don't know how people could scroll through art, really, um, especially new art, like before Instagram. Um, I can I spend most of my time just like looking through my feed and it's great because I can count it as work when you get you know you get the pop up like you spent two hours on Instagram I'm like <laughs> oh no it's work I promise um, <laughs> but I spend so much time sort of you know and I get into this sort of black hole of like oh and I see someone comment on a work and I'm like click and I'm like oh this is great and then sun- suddenly I'm on someone's website and then I'm at someone's gallery website and then I'm on some other artists and so there's a very there's a big ricochet I mean at least for me I've, I find it quite interesting to sort of explore um I don't really use the hashtags that much I know some people that follow hashtags mm. do you like uh, the emerging art yeah. like hashtag I find difficult to, yeah. to navigate I, think I follow contemporary painting and some of our own ones as well. Just personally, I follow my own name, which is that's useful. Out- outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Delphine Open Call one. Okay, uh, that one must be well populated though. I think it's about thirty. <laughs> there, that's that's yeah. enough to follow. Yeah. Um, and then I also follow just certain accounts. I mean, yeah. So there are websites when you can submit your stuff, and there's a jury, and then they sort of feed it through. Like, uh, well, Danny Lamb from Painters Painting Paintings. It's a tongue tester. <laughs> yeah. um, he often does open calls, which are just, I guess, people email their, their work and he'll choose some to 
um, to feed through to his people, of which there are thousands. Um, and then there's like Floor Magazine, which does yeah. open submissions. And I really do pay attention to those places and other people that I just think have great taste. I do. Um, but like maybe, yeah, maybe there's sort of a space for a platform that, you know, allows for like gains a reputation for great taste and just post pictures of work. Um, if I see, for example, if I see an artist that I'm interested in that Danny Lam has posted, I feel very confident. <laughs> <laughs> but I just really like his, his style and his things. So yeah, maybe more of those would be good. Mm. Maybe I should start one. <laughs> I'll be the next painters painting paintings, sculptors sculpting sculptures. <laughs> that, there's a gap for that. So another uh, question that we um, ask people a lot is, um, what is one piece of advice you'd give a young artist just starting out? It doesn't have to be one piece actually, mm. as, as many as you like. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would advise them to look a bit into the history of what they're making. Um, well, my background is in art history, so I guess I'm biased, but I have seen some artworks that, well, I've met some artists that are unaware of certain other artists in the past that have not made things similar, but make things engaging with the themes or with the um, objectives that they're trying to do. And I know some, um, some artists might find it daunting or difficult to process that other artists have made or address the themes but I think if you can look at how things have been um, addressed and um, processed in the past it would make I think it will allow you to inform the future and how you're making addressing those themes now um, in general I think artists should have a good connection with art history uh, the art schools do do that though but I'm not sure I think there's a lot of independent research that should be undertaken into, you know, if you decide you want to do ceramics, like look at the history of how that has changed. It's so big now and look at, maybe think about why it's going big, sort of asking theoretical questions and sort of probing yourself and being critical um, about your own work. Um, and on that point, I guess, also accepting criticism is a big thing. Yeah, educating. I think we can never stop learning. I'm always learning. I'm I look back at other things I've done a couple of years ago and I think I could do them better now, but I guess that's just life and it's moving and emerging and growing. Um, yeah, educating yourself and looking at other works and going to other museums, not just emerging shows or not just gallery shows. I'm making a pointed effort to definitely see more museum shows because I find myself going to commercial shows much more now, but yeah, getting a good sense of what you're making and how it sits in the general art history cool. perfect yeah i think there that's a, go. a good place to wrap up then cool. yeah yeah so thank you for joining us <laughs> thank you <laughs> thanks for having me